This is the Adopted Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast, Season 2, Episode 10. My name is Alex Fitton, and I have the honor of hosting this show every week and bringing you guys awesome episodes with adoptive moms, support systems, birth moms, adopted kids, and all other kinds of characters in this whole adoption world. Today, I'm going to bring you a chat with Jenny Mars from Almost Home on HGTV. Now, in addition to having their own reality show, Jenny and her husband are adoptive parents of a sweet little girl named Sylvie, in addition to some biological kids as well. So, we're going to chat about having a reality show coupled with a non-traditional family and being a little bit more public than normal and just all the attachment issues and uh, st- fun stuff like that that comes with a normal international adoption, much less one that's a little bit more in the public spotlight. So let's get to it. My interview with Jenny Mars. All right. Hello. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I am here with Jenny Mars, who I have never met in person, but I'm so excited to have on the podcast. So, hey, Jenny, how's it going? Hi, it's good. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Of course, we were talking before we started recording about um, how this is like post bedtime when we're recording this and we're both a little brain dead. So um, it's going to be it's going to be kind of funny. I love that moms can speak the same language a little bit. We all have the same <laughs> post bedtime rituals. Yes, it's, this is my normal like zone out. Nobody talk to me time. So this is this. Is, <laughs> so we're having a conversation. This is big. Yeah, big, but. I love that you said nobody talked to me because that's totally how I am too. I'm like, I need a couch by myself. Like nobody talked to me. Nobody touched me. I just want to like stare at my iPad or stare at the TV or whatever. Or I don't even, I sometimes just stare off into space. No, I'm just kidding. You know what? I could totally do that. I catch it all. I catch myself all the time or like sit in the shower and just stare at the wall for a while. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Oh God. Love it. Um, Okay. So yeah, introduce us to your family, Um, who you are, what you do, kids' names, ages, all that fun stuff. Okay. So I'm Jenny. My husband is Dave. And then I guess what we do, um, Dave has been a home builder here in the area in Northwest Arkansas for, gosh, oh, like 13 or 14 years. I don't know. It's been a long time. We're old. Um, And I help him with the design side of the business. And then we also run a nonprofit. Well, sort of. We merged with another one. So anyway, <laughs> we don't run ours anymore. We merged and we have partners and that's kind of our like passion side stuff. And then we have four kiddos. We have Ben and Nate. They're seven. They're twins. And Sylvie is five. She'll be six actually on Tuesday. So less than a week. And then Charlotte is three. That's so exciting. So you guys are... um you guys are like Chip and Joanne, right? I mean, oh, no, <laughs> no, we're not. No, I know. I'm like, no, nobody say that. Makes oh, me, I'm sorry. Like, oh. no, I'm like, no, that's a lot to live up to. No, we're not at all. Um, <laughs> we just yeah, just do that. Um, we happen to do similar things, and yeah. <laughs> no, I'm. I would totally you know. be milking it if I were you. I'd be like, yeah, basically <laughs> them. I mean, it's the same that's thing. Exactly. No, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Um, okay, so yeah, we know that um, some of those kids came out of your body and some did not, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, 
right. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Um, the twins and Charlotte, my youngest, are biological. And then Sylvie, we uh, we brought her home um, in 2014. And she was born in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Wow. That's so cool. I yeah. don't, you know, when you talk to it, you know, there's like a lot of African countries. There's a lot of, you know, Haiti, China and stuff like that. I don't think I've ever talked to a mom who's adopted from there. That's really cool. Oh, really? Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Well, you know, we, we have a little community of um, maybe four or five of us of moms in this northwest Arkansas area that have kiddos from the Congo, which is really neat. And it's a small area. So it's crazy that we have, you know, other families that are from the same country. Ah, I love it. Okay. So yeah, on that note, let's talk a little bit about your story. I mean, I think you left out and, and maybe you were trying to in this short little bio, but, uh, you guys are, are becoming kind of a big deal. So <laughs> um, you left that part out conveniently. <laughs> yeah. We're not becoming a big deal, but, um, we, yeah, we have a, it's so weird. Like life is weird. All I have to say, but, um, it's embarrassing to say, but we have a, I don't know why I hate being the center of attention, but we have a um, show that we've developed with HGTV. So yeah, just renovating homes with Dave and I, and I assume that's what you're referring to. Yeah, absolutely. That's <laughs> okay. so cool. No, like that's amazing. I love it. So, okay. So on that note, why don't you just jump into your story a little bit, um, your whole adoption story and how you got to where you are now? Well, Dave and I had, I mean, we had talked about adoption and, like when we were first married, we just sort of felt like it was a calling on our life, but we weren't really pursuing it or, you know, we were just sort of like, okay, maybe someday. Um, and then about, I don't know, we were married for quite, for quite a few years before we were ready to have children. It's crazy because I actually didn't really think I wanted kids. I mean, I knew I wanted kids, but I was never a kid person. So I wasn't like rushing to have kids. Which is funny now that I have four and it's like, <laughs> I never expected that. But um, once we decided to start having kids, like most people's story, um, you know, we just thought this will happen easily. Let's do this. Um, and it didn't, you know, so similar to other people, we went through a couple years of infertility and treatments and heartache. And oh, it was just, it was just a really hard time. But at the same time, it was it was really sweet because God used that time to just bond Dave and I's hearts closer to one another, to God, to himself. Because I guess until that point, Dave and I talk about this a lot. Both of us had lived a life that pretty much kind of went, you know, it was just sort of flowed along nicely. Like if we wanted to do something, we did it. And we never really had that um had anything until that point that was so completely out of our control and we just had to lean completely on God for it. And so the process of trying to build our family was like, just broke us and created this need for God that we had never had before in a new way, you know, if that makes sense. Um, and so we got, and during that time, God just started opening both of our eyes and saying like, wait, you know, you had talked about adoption, you know, back a little bit here and there, but here's the deal. We, there isn't, there are orphans throughout the whole world that need a home, these kids that don't have a family. So we just started having that like heart for the orphan and care, you know, what does that look like? And maybe that's how we're supposed to build our family. And I was kind of trying to 
like put a pretty ribbon on it and think okay, and say like, well, that's why this happened because we're supposed to adopt. So let's stop trying to have biological kids and let's adopt. That's what we're supposed to do. Um, and like literally left and right doors would just shut. And it's like looking back, I mean, <laughs> it was such a frantic time. Oh, it was so frantic. We were, we started a process, um, in Russia actually. And we're almost having, like we had almost we're like at the very end of that process. And then we had a child come up from Kazakhstan and we're like, okay, maybe that's our kid. And then we had a domestic situation that came up we're like, okay, maybe that's our child. And I mean, it was just crazy, but super frantic. Like we just wanted to have a child, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and during that time, it was, it almost became towards the end. It almost became like an idol in our life. Like, like, God, just do this for us. Give us a child. Like we can't have biological kids. You, we can't, none of these adoptions are working out. What is going on? And we were, I was just personally getting really, um, just, it was just kind of going through a bit of despair, you know? And then we got a call, ran, like, totally out of the blue. I'll never forget. I was walking to the mailbox. I had my cell phone, and it rang. And it was our doctor's office that, like, our fertility clinic doctor. And we hadn't been in in, I think, like, six to eight months by that point. And they just randomly called. And we're like, hey, we really think you guys are candidates for IVF. And you're, we checked your insurance, and it's covered at 100%. And we just really think you should consider it. Wow. And I was like, no. And I was like, no, we're not doing that. And I just felt, I was like, nope, we're not going to do it. Thanks for calling. And so I told Dave later and he's like, what? Yes, we are going. Why don't we, why? Anyway, long story short, we, we learned a lesson about, you know, okay, God just talked to Dave because I am adamant against this, but we did it and we had our boys. And so, um, we put our adoption on hold and, and also when our boys, they were born prematurely, and but they were healthy and everything, like just lots of miracles unfolded with them. Um, so fast forward, and they were a year and a half old. So we were still in the thick of it, which is what you and I were talking about with your kiddos. <laughs> it is like you can't even think straight at that point with twins. Oh, yeah. And I remember driving home from work. And hearing, a, I don't even know what the song was, which is funny, but I just heard this song and I was like, oh, I don't, I, and I, if I could remember the song, you would think, what in the world? That doesn't even tie together. And I have no idea why. It was just this, this spirit led thought that was, we have a child in Africa. And I'm like, the song did not go with that. I don't know why. I just don't remember. you love it when God works like that though? Yes. Cause it's like. I would have never thought of this on my own and it doesn't make any sense, any rational sense at all. Um, so of course I didn't tell Dave about it because he would have thought I was insane. Right. So I just kept that to myself and <laughs> just kind of mold on it and prayed over it. And like, as I remember, it was like a week, it was just this stirring, if you will, like just kept getting stronger and stronger, this feeling of, oh my goodness, we have a child in Africa, somewhere in Africa, we do, we do. And I'm like, I cannot, God, I cannot tell Dave. So you need to press this on his heart because unless he comes to me, I don't, I'm not going to believe that this is really from you, you know, because this doesn't make any sense. And so we were um, 
taking the boys for a walk and Dave looks at me and he's like, Hey, I think we're, he's like, this is crazy, but I think we're supposed to start the adoption process again. And I think we're supposed to go to Africa somewhere. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I was like, you're, you're never going to say this, but I agree. <laughs> like it was just um, crazy. Like it, yeah, neither of it, neither of us could believe it. Cause it didn't make any sense. So we started the process and we had um, chosen a, a program in Ethiopia with an agency and went along at that time, the process had slowed quite a bit. So they were estimating a wait of like 18 months and we were like, perfect. Cause we we're not in a rush. Our boys are young. Like that'll be fine. Um, but then of course, once you get in it, no, that's not, you know, you want it to hurry up because yeah. then it becomes more real. And you're like, no, there's a child waiting. I've got to hurry. And so anyways, we raced through the paperwork and did all of that. And then we got on the wait list and we started waiting. Um, and I don't even know how many months, but this was in, goodness, this would have been 2012. So we waited for quite a bit. And um, I don't know, that would have been like four, five months or so, six months maybe. And um, I would get the waiting children emails from um, Rainbow Kids. I don't know. It's the if you know what that is, but it's like an international, um, they kind of take kiddos that are, that don't have a match or have special needs or, um, you know, lots of different reasons, but they come up, they, they get on this list basically. And they kind of send those out. Like these are some waiting kids around the world. And I had kind of set parameters on that. And so I would get these emails and typically I would just like look at them and, think oh you know cute kid say a quick prayer and like delete the email because I was like nope we're on this path like this is what we're doing I don't need to even look at any of these other options you know and um one day and this was in November of 2012 I um got an email opened it up and I again like at this point I had stopped even opening the emails I would just delete them but I opened this one for whatever reason and Sylvie's picture popped up. Um, and I was like, that's our child. Like I, I, I never had had that happen with any other, you know, I just, it wasn't like I was overly emotionally attached to every picture I saw. Right. I just literally saw it and I was like, okay, that's our child. So I forwarded the email to Dave and I didn't say anything. I didn't, I didn't put a subject line. I didn't do anything. I just sent it to him. And I just waited and he called me and he was like, what was that email? What's going on? <laughs> like, did you see the picture? Did you see her? And did you read it? And he's like, yes, let's meet. So we met, we called the, um, the number and found out she was in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And we had to actually look that up on a map because we didn't know where it was. We knew it was in Africa, but we didn't know where. Right. So we were like, okay. We, we just said, okay, we're going to pray about it. Can we get back to you? And, and they had already had a bunch of other inquiries. So they were like, well, you need to do it quickly and um, submit your paperwork and everything while you're praying. And then if you get picked, then you can decide. And then the next day they called us and we had been the first to submit like our full packet of information. So they said, if you say yes, you know, you have the referral. And... So we 
We're like, okay. So we had, I think, two days to decide at that point. And like that night I had gotten connected just because, you know, adoption world, everything's small. People are connected. And I was able to connect and talk to several other moms that had gone through the same agency and the same country program. And I found out some really hard things about the orphanage Sylvie was living in. And I just, I had, we had been in the process long enough at this point and had done enough training at this point um, that we were like, okay, this is like, this will be pretty intense. Um, Because the program that we were in, the Ethiopia program, the agency had in country, they had a transition home where they cared for the kiddos. And it was just sort of like, you know, they were, their needs were being met and, we knew what was happening. We had people that had gone and seen it and we felt good about that. And this program was so unknown and everything we heard was pretty bleak. And like, it was just really hard. Like she may not even survive before we can get her home kind of stuff. Wow. We were like, okay, okay. You know, what do we do? So the next day, Dave and I prayed and prayed and I was like, Dave, I, I just don't think, I don't think we should do it. I think we should stick with what we already had decided, stick with the Ethiopia program. We already paid all of our fees. We already submitted all of our paperwork. Like, I just, I don't know. And he's like, yeah, you know, if that's what you think, I agree. Whatever you, whatever, I'll just go along with whatever you think at this point. And so I was like, okay, but I cannot call the agency on my own and tell them this. Like, you have to come home and call them with me because there's no way I'm going to actually say the words no out loud and um he's like okay I'll be home I'm gonna come home at 4 30 we'll call them and then we'll just you know that'll be it that'll be that so 4 30 runs around rolls around Dave's not home I'm calling him where are you he's not answering calling calling you know as you do and (laughs) he's not answering and I'm like what is he this is very important we have to tell them today and he comes home like an hour later and he walks in the door. I'm like, where have you been? Like what in the world? And he's like, you have to just sit down. I'm like, okay. And so he had completely, and this is, I mean, like never ever happens. Cause this is something I would do, but not Dave. He had completely forgotten that he had a um, closing. He and a friend of his had bought some land together and they sold it. And they had this closing to that day. So he completely forgot about it just because of the adoption and everything. And so his friend was at the the bank and called him. He's like, hey, where are you? We're supposed to be closing on this land. Where are you? And he's like, oh, my gosh, I forgot. You know, ran down there. They signed all the paperwork. And this is where he is instead of being home, making the phone call to the agency. And he and I'm like, okay, that's great. But, like, what do we do? And he's like, well, I'm pretty sure this is our daughter and we're supposed to say yes and I'm like why 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 did this change what happened and he hands me an envelope and in the envelope is a check from the closing that was to the dollar exactly what we needed for the new fees for the new country like the new program if we said yes we had to turn in that money I have I have (laughs) chills right now this is insane it was Absolutely. I mean, insane. And it was stuff like that. I mean, things like that happened. That was the biggest one that stands out to me to this day. But 
all through the process, stuff like that would happen. That was so clearly God saying, this is the path I have for you. It was just so clearly his hand. And I know he did that because it got so hard, so hard. And if we didn't have those like stones of remembrance to look back on and say, okay, no, he told us this. We know he told us this. It would have been so easy to doubt and to just walk away. Yeah. Um, but he did stuff like that throughout the process. That was probably the biggest one, but that like stands out. But yeah. So, well, I'm sitting here picturing like, like a scene out of a movie where, cause I know me, like I would have just been so angry. Like, where were you? You didn't call yeah. me. And then he drops this like God bomb in your lap and you're just kind of like, okay, <laughs> like still angry, but <laughs> Exactly. But now I'm just reeling. Like, I don't even know what to do. So yeah, that's exactly, pretty much exactly how it happened. <laughs> um, And so, you know, like I said, that was in November of 2012. Um, and basically everything, you know, if you, if you've ever worked or in Africa, or I, I don't know, I just think of countries in Africa I know it's like African time so everything is on African time not necessarily our time so everything took a lot longer than we had planned or you know as it is like nothing yeah. ever does it plans as you plan for it um and so we didn't pass court with Sylvie until August of 2013 and by and when we started we had thought she would be home by August or September but like at that point we're like still waiting on court you know so Finally, in August, we passed court, and at that point, we went and visited her for the first time, and um, we had, we had in June, we had moved um, her into a, a foster home with a friend, like a, someone who had become our friend now. She's like extended family, basically, but we had met her um, through a friend of a friend. It was a Congolese doctor who would go and visit Sylvie at the orphanage, and so many times because Sylvia was constantly had malaria or typhoid or, I mean, she was just sick all the time. And so Dr. Laura was always there visiting her, taking her to the hospital, just taking care of her. And finally in June, we were able to get her moved to Laura's house. So she was her foster mom for us. And so when we went and visited in August, we went and stayed with Laura and stayed with Sylvie. And it was just, um, it was, yeah, like wonderful and hard and uh, all the feelings. <laughs> it was yeah. just, yeah, it was hard um, because we had to leave and we had no idea at that point what the process looked like. We were still thinking she would be home sometime later that fall. and um, But we still had to leave her and it was just really, yeah, this is hard, you know, as you can imagine. Um, so we leave and we actually had a short stayover in Brussels for the weekend, um, which was just like the best. another adoptive family had recommended that to us. They said, when you go and visit and you have to leave, spend the weekend somewhere on your layover and just decompress, process, just be, you know, like don't come home and jump right into life. Like take a couple of days and just be still and, give your chance yourselves a chance to grieve and to process. And it was the best advice ever. Um, I can't, I mean, I just, it was so, so important for us, for Dave and I to have that time um, before we just jumped back right, right back into our lives. Um, and so that was just, I always look back on that 
that weekend and it was just so sweet and it was just like a little gift from God. It was like we were constantly, like we were just crying and eating chocolate and crying and eating waffles and like it was just like the most beautiful place. We actually went to this little town called Bruges and um, like we're just it's so beautiful but like it just, like there was just so many emotions that we were processing. So anyway, that was in August. Um, in September, the country announced, the Congo announced a sus- suspension on exit permits for adopted kids, which basically meant even if you're adopted and you're legally adopted and you have a U.S. visa, you cannot leave the country. Wow. And so, yeah. And there were, oh gosh, I don't even know. Like, the numbers changed, but at the time, I think it was around 700 kids that were stuck. Mm. And, um, and so, yeah, we found that out in September. In October, I found out that I was pregnant, <laughs> which was like the most shocking thing of all, actually. And it was crazy because I, like all this time that before when I tried to get pregnant for so long, I would, all I wanted to be was pregnant. And then I got pregnant and I was like, why? I was just so mad at God. Like, why? Why am I pregnant now? I've got to get my daughter home before I can even, like, deal with anything else. Like, what are you doing, you know? And so it made no sense at the time. The timing was felt so off and crazy. And, and I, I look back now and I think I missed a lot of the joy of my pregnancy because I was just so tormented and like just struggling because my child was on the other side of the world and I didn't know if she live even much less like come home. I didn't know if she was going to come home at that point too. Anyhow. So we just, um, like, Oh my gosh, we called anyone and everyone who would listen to us. We, I became good friends with our senators and congressmen and, um, their staff, like they were just constantly advocating for us. Um, we had letters from everywhere. Like we just were like, it was just like a full-time job for me for a while to try to just get Sylvie out of there. Um, especially cause she was, she was really sick and nobody could figure out why nobody could figure out what was wrong with her. And so, um, I thought, you know, I just have to, I kept thinking too, especially because I had not done you know, at this point, so much um, training and education on adoption and attachment and all of that. For some reason, I was just set. Like, she has to come home before Charlotte is born. It just has to happen that way. And in my mind, that was just like, there's no way around it. That has to be the way it happens. And, of course, that's not the way it happens <laughs> because, you know, my plans are not the best plans. And so in May, Charlotte was born in um, 2014. And then when she was eight weeks old, we found out there was a possibility that Sylvie could be released on a medical exit permit. And so there were actually four kids that were released. And the very last one was Sylvie. And again, that's like, there was a whole long story there, but I won't even get into it. But so she came home. She was, we found out on Monday morning, like I woke up at 5 a.m. and I had the email from the embassy and we booked a flight um, for Laura's, for Laura, Sylvie's foster mom, to be able to bring her home to us because Dave had been a couple months before and we thought his visa was still valid and it wasn't. So we're like, oh my gosh, we got to race and get him a visa. And then um, 
we thought, well, why don't we just ask? Maybe they'll let Laura take her home and that way Laura can come and stay. And it was like, we didn't think there was a chance because we didn't, hadn't really ever heard of them allowing that, especially since the suspension. And they gave Laura permission. Um, so she flew her home. So they left. So we found out on Monday morning and she was home on Wednesday night. And um, it was just a whirlwind. <laughs> yeah. But it was amazing too because Laura was here for a week and was able to just help that first initial transition. She spoke the language. She was able to go to the doctor's appointments with me. Um, she just helped Sylvie feel, at least initially, feel safe here with us because Laura was her person at that point and Laura was safe with us. And so therefore Sylvie felt safe with us at the beginning. And she was two and a half years old at that point. And she had met me and she had met Dave twice. And we had of course done like FaceTime and Skype and all of that. But of course she didn't know us, you know, she didn't really right. know us, but she trusted Laura. And so having Laura here was just, it was so incredible. Um, it was like an answer to a prayer that I was like, too almost too afraid to pray because I thought no that's too crazy like there's I'm not even going to ask for that I just want to get her home I don't know what it's going to look like but it was you know it's like the Ephesians verse it was better than I could have asked or imagined it was such um it was such a gift for our family so that's that's so amazing and then I don't know we can talk more about like now that we've been home but that was the story to get her home (laughs) Yeah, well, and it's a it's a really good one. Um, I mean, that's insane. I just I can't the the short months, you know, here in Arkansas, we have Project Zero, which I've talked about on the podcast. I'm sure you know what that is. But for the listeners that are not um, from Northwest Arkansas or just Arkansas in general, I'm sorry. But Project Zero is an organization that provides the faces of waiting kids um, that you can look up online and then you can seek those out you can email their uh caseworkers and everything but you know just those short those short months waiting for emails back I just can't that that Mm -hmm. doesn't even touch what you guys went through and I just I can't imagine just I'm sure the patience building that you guys went through but oh god yeah uh, it was 102 days that we waited that's the kind of lesson you just don't really want to learn you know right it's not but it was like I was actually looking back, um, reading through journal entries from that time and just looking, you know, like it was obviously there's oh, so many emotions, but um, God was so clean. He was just so near, so near during that time. And I, um, I don't know, I was like, it was, it was just you had like we had no choice but just to completely trust him and um, in that and just trying to figure out like, okay, what are you trying to teach us in this weight? Like, what is this for? It has to be for a purpose. And, um, and I know it, it did create some really amazing things like for our family spiritually, but then also we started, you know, work in like our nonprofit. We started during that time, just as a response to some of the needs at her orphanage. And, and we talk about it and we're like, I don't know if we would have, you know, started the process and brought her home six months later, of course we would have still been tied to the country, her birth country, but I don't know that we would have had the depth of relationship that we do like with her foster family, for example, or 
our other Congolese friends that we've partnered with um, through our nonprofit. And so we just, we created these relationships during that time. And I don't know, I just don't know that that would have happened as like deeply and, um, you know, like it wouldn't have been quite as real if we would have just brought her home without having the, the agony of the wait and all of that. I don't know. I mean, it would have been nice to bring her home and not have to go through all of that, but there was so much good that came out of it too. All right, guys, we'll get back to our interview with Jenny Mars here in just a minute. But first, I wanted to remind you guys that this is actually the last week. We have less than a week to go at the time of this recording, that is, before our first ever birth mom brunch. I am so excited that the podcast gets to be a part of this, and we're going to have hopefully a lot of sweet mamas who are going to feel honored and just so precious, just like they are at this event. Um, we thankfully we have some awesome volunteers who are going to love on these women firsthand, but if you are not able to volunteer, but you still want to help, we would love to have you contribute to some food costs and just other, other things that have come up. And that would just be a really awesome way to get involved if you can't be there in person. So please reach out to me on Facebook or at alexfitton at gmail.com. If you would like to contribute in this way, other than that, keep on the lookout. We'll of course respect their privacy by not posting any faces, but we'll see, you'll get to see some photos of the food and the decorations and just some, uh, non-birth mom pictures of the event. So keep a lookout for those. And if you guys could just have your praying hands ready and pray that these women are blessed by this event, I would be so appreciative. All right, guys, that's it for now. Let's jump back into our interview with Jenny Mars. Yeah. Well, and before we get into some of this, the amazing work that you guys do with your nonprofit, what what about after she came home? How was attachment? You know, I'm always, uh, I mean, I think fascinated is probably a poor choice of words because um, I don't know that it's something to be fascinated at. But I'm always curious about how that works with international adoptions because I know that it's so different from domestic or foster care adoptions. But um, how how was that for you guys? How long did it take, you know, her to attach to you and you to attach to her? Because we all adoptive mamas know that those two things do not necessarily happen at the same time. Yeah. Um, I will say when she first came home, we had what, you know, everybody refers to as the honeymoon period. And we definitely had that for like, I don't know, month, maybe (laughs) two months, maybe. Um, but I think one of the really hard things when I look back at like our, our start Mm. as a family is that I had an eight week old, at the time and and then this two and a half year old comes home who if I'm honest I've I mean I've been waiting for her we were waiting for her for two years and we'd met her a few times we'd seen a few pictures I mean a lot of pictures we'd skyped all of these things and so I sort of imagined her to be one way and like even when we visited her and everything she was one way and that's what I imagined her little personality I just had this whole person created in my mind of who she was and that is not at all who she was <laughs> and so it sort of rocked my world you know when she came home I'm like I no 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 you are not no this is <laughs> this is not happening you are like this sweet whatever you know whatever it is that I imagine I'm like this is not who I this like I don't even know what is this crazy person that's in my house 
smearing poop on the wall and screaming and like, who are you? What is happening to my life? Um, so it was just basically, I call that, like, it's crazy because I think that's just life, right? Like God does these amazing miracle things, this incredible thing. We're rejoicing and I'm picturing like, she's going to be home. Like, this is it. This is the end. Like, these are the fireworks where everybody's, you know, you got your tambourines and your like the Miriam song. Like, we're ready. Like, this is it. We're rejoicing. And that's the end. And it was not that way at all, of course, because oh, it's no. adoption. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, I, and it's funny because I knew, like, I had lots of adopted mama friends. I've been to lots of conferences, lots of trainings. But I always, I think everybody, I think we all do this. You kind of, you hear the stories from other people and you're like, oh, well, obviously that's, not gonna happen to me you know because like I we're know. Gonna, we're gonna, you know and we all do that and it cracks me up yes. because I mean I was the same way like I had heard you know this is gonna be the hard this is gonna be hard yes. and then it's like your brain doesn't register you're like sure it's gonna be hard but like not really right like, not for like, me yes I'm like she's so cute how can how can it be that hard I mean look at her oh my word you know <laughs> and um Anyway, so it was, it was really, I call that summer, the first summer home, the dark summer. Um, it was just really hard. It was very hard. Our boys at the time were four. And while at the time they seemed so grown up, now I look back and like, they were babies. Like they were four. Are you kidding me? They were so little. And they had like 48 hours notice that their sister was coming home. They had just had a baby sister eight weeks earlier. So their whole world had been rocked because it had only been the two of them for about four years. They had a baby sister and then they'd been waiting on this other sister. But, you know, to a to a two, three and four year old, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like they'd seen Sylvie's picture. They knew it was her sister or their sister. Um, but, you know, it's just like it doesn't make sense to them until she's here. Right. And they had a really hard time really hard time, um, which made it even harder for me. And then I had a newborn and it was just, it was crazy. It was crazy. I just, um, yeah, it was hard. And I would say, I mean, attachment, you know, people call it a dance. It's like forward and back constantly. Um, I would say we're still, we're, I mean, she's been home now three years and well, three and a half now. Um, and it's still, it's still a process. I don't think I would, I wouldn't say like, she on this date I felt like she was attached to me and right. on this date it's like it, I don't know some days feel better than others some days are hard and I think oh my gosh we haven't made an ounce of progress and then I look back like I just think sometimes I have to just step back and look and think okay like let me think through and watch old videos or read old journal entries and really remember where she was, where I was, and then look at where we are now. And I can then see the progress. But some days, like in the thick of it, I'm like, oh my gosh, we haven't made an ounce of progress. Like what in the world? I thought we would quote unquote be further along than we are now, which is ridiculous because like, what does that even mean? You know? Right. I think we give ourselves these, I don't know, expectations and we have these, um, like timelines in our mind of what things should look like. I hear sometimes I've heard a lot of times actually um, that it's said that a child who's been in an orphanage, as, like depending on however long they were in an orphanage setting, it takes them that long at home 
to really be able to attach and to be part of a family and to be part of the family unit. So that sounds lovely. Like, okay, well, so Sylvie was in an orphanage for two and a half years. She's been home two and a half years. When she was home for two and a half years, I thought, oh my gosh, this is the turning point. Like, this is it. That's what everybody says. But like, that doesn't even, no, that's not, she's a child. She's not a textbook, you know? Um, And so I think, yeah, I don't know. I think we're still working through it. We, um, we have really good days and we have really bad days. I will say that, um, we went as a family this past January to South Africa together for a month and it was the best, by far the best thing we've ever done for our attachment. Like not just her and I, but her and her siblings, especially her brothers, um, because Charlotte, the baby never knew any different, right? Sylvia had always been there. Um, but it was just a time for us to, I mean, it wasn't the Congo at all. It was not even close, but in Sylvie's mind, she doesn't have a lot of really concrete memories from being in Congo. Um, she just knows Congo and Africa. And so like when we were going together to South Africa, there was a lot of, I mean, we worked a lot in therapy, preparing for that trip with her and just helping her to you know, work through some fears and just anxiety. And it was just, I don't know, it was so amazing. Like we went and visited um, one of our partners there. They have like a community center where kids in the slums can come while their parents can go to work. And so we went and visited a day there and I debated, Dave and I debated both like, do we bring Sylvie or do I stay home and you guys go And eventually we just decided, let's bring her and let's just, you know, we'll just see how it goes. And if she, it's too much, then we'll leave, you know. And it was um, really hard. I mean, she walked in and there was, it was the first time she'd been in a a room with that many kids that looked like her since she left the Congo. And she all could tell that they didn't have families there, right? Like it was just a ton of kids and like a few adults. And she just froze like her her fear response is definitely um freeze you know fight or flight she just like no I mean she doesn't even flight she just freezes yeah and so she just like you could just I could just see it like she was just glazed over like whoa what is happening I mean all the fear came rushing back I could see it and so I just took her outside we went and sat in the car for a while calmed her down um just kind of soothed her really didn't talk through it because at that point her brain wasn't in a place where she could comprehend any sort of logic um but we just after a while she had said she wanted to try to go back in and I kept reassuring her like we're all here together this is safe you're safe we're you know just kept using that language and so she eventually went back in and we kind of we kept taking breaks um but after a few hours (laughs) it took a while she started playing and opening up and playing with, she never actually played with any of the other kids. She played with the caregivers and then we all left together. And from that day, I can say it was like a turning point for her. It was, it was a way for her to see we can do this and we're going to all leave together. We're not leaving you here. I think I, obviously that was her fear. I think that day is like, you're, you're going to leave me here. I'm going back. Like this, you know, that's her fear. That's, always there um and so it was like no we're not we're leaving together and so again like 
I said, she doesn't have super cognitive memories of Congo, but they're there, of course. Her body remembers. And it was just really, I don't know, that whole trip was just amazing. It was so healing for our family to be able to go and make new memories on that continent together, to be there together, to leave together, to all just be off of work and be super focused for an extended period of time on just relationships with each other. Um, Not that everyone can do that, of course. It was, and like, I don't know that we'll ever be able to do it again, but it was such a gift. And it was like, I would say that was probably the biggest turning point in attachment for all of us. So, yeah. That's so amazing to hear. I mean, I I think that it is such a process for so many of us. It's something that we can't put our finger on, but it's really cool that I feel like God gives us all those moments. And obviously um, that's like a bigger moment than most, but it's just, it's such a, it's so cool. And it's cool because whenever she's older, you'll be able to tell her that, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love it. So, okay. um, We had a, I was going to save most of these for the end, but I asked on Facebook and Instagram for people to ask questions of you just since you're a little bit more known than some of my other guests. And I had one um, that somebody asked how you got started in your nonprofit. Like I said, I was going to save these questions for the end, but I think that that's a good segue into that part of your story. Sure. Um, And again, it's a long story, so I'll try to (laughs) make it short. But basically, like I said, Sylvie, her orphanage where she was, was, I mean, I wouldn't even qualify it as an orphanage, really. It was just a place where kids lived and they had no resources. Adults didn't stay there at night with them. Um, They often didn't have adults there for periods of time. And so Laura, who was our, our dear friend who became Sylvie's foster mom would go, like I said, and check on Sylvie when she was at the orphanage. And she just sort of started forming relationships with the other kids and just genuinely cared for them. And so she would, you know, report back to us and some of the other adopted moms that had kids there would also have her check on their kids. And so then we would talk and we're like, wait, now, like, what are the kids eating and what's going on? What's the situation? And so the parents, we just started sending money for food. So every time she would go and visit, she would make a meal at home and bring it and feed all the kids when she was there that day. And this happened maybe once a month. And so at one point, um, at this point, actually, Sylvie had already moved and we had actually already visited. So this was, um, sometime in the fall of 2013. I don't even remember. Um, and Laura emailed me and said, I visited today, visited LaGrace today, and I don't think the kids have eaten in a very long time. I don't know how long it's been, but there, then there were a couple kids specifically that we had been really worried about. And when we were there and she had said that those two kids, she's like, I don't just don't think they're going to make it. I don't know when they've eaten. They are starving to death. And so I was like, well, I mean, that's not going to happen. Like we have to do something. So I talked to the other moms and we just said, okay, let's do a fundraiser. Let's see what we can, let's see how much money we can raise. Let's try to get them fed for like, you know, a month or something. I don't know. Let's just see what we can do. So I had Laura do some research on her end to find out how much that would cost. And we just started, like we did this 
online raffle basically and just had people donate and we ended up raising enough for three months of food and for three different orphanages because Laura also visited a couple others and so Laura then kind of took that on as like another side job for her that she just started doing this like going and delivering food and delivering um to all of these orphanages <clears throat> so anyway from there it just sort of developed kept growing we kept getting more people asking like can we donate it was just it just sort of happened like it wasn't anything we were looking to do it was just like a response to a need and then God just kept presenting opportunities for us and we ended up meeting um I met a um gentleman named Tresor Yinyi who is a Congolese man who was living in Joplin Missouri which is like 45 minutes from me and so I got connected with him and I went and met with Dave and I both went and met with him and he ran a nonprofit or still does runs a nonprofit in the Congo. And so we were like, can we just like somehow partner with you and your nonprofit can be the ones in charge of this feeding program because it became too much for Laura to manage on her own. And so, um, I don't know, it just sort of developed. We, we created this partnership. We, just started raising money every month. We ended up having um, another friend who wanted to do this, like he wanted to do a concert series locally, just bring in local artists every month. And he didn't want to take any money. So he's like, what if I, what if we, you know, took like donations and then just donated all the money to your nonprofit. And at that time we had an actual nonprofit and it was called feed their tummies. And so we were like, sure, we'll take your money. <laughs> well, that'd be awesome. So it ended up being a partnership with them. And we had this concert series every month. And we we're basically funding um, 200 kids every month for the food. Um, and this went on for like, gosh, like three, two or three years. Um, yeah, 2016. So three years. And then we have some really good friends who run another nonprofit called help one now and they're based out of um, North Carolina and they wow. work in 13. Yeah. So they work in 13 communities around the world and we just were talking to Chris, the CEO and founder and we're like, Chris, we're just in over our heads at this point. Like it's literally me and Dave too, but like I'm doing all of it, you know, basically like he's supporting and he's, he actually went to Congo a couple of times to check on things for me because I still had a nursing baby and all of that, but it was like just us. And like, we can't, we can't manage this. It's kind of getting beyond our control, but we also have hopes for it. Like we don't want to just be feeding these kids every day because like, of course they're going to need more food tomorrow. Like it's just a never ending need. We want to create something that's sustainable that they can, like we can empower communities and that's, that's what help one now does. And so we're like, we just love their model and we wanted to figure out how to, to work with them and work together. And so we partnered and um, did some exploratory stuff with some projects in Congo. And then right when we were about to launch a big program for um, our first kind of big project there, was when the um, like the the civil unrest basically erupted in the country, and our partner, who um, Tresor with Mengaza in in Congo, was basically like, "Yeah, we can't do this right now." <laughs> so we 
okay. So which we appreciate. And it was, but at the same time, that was, it was really hard and really confusing because we were about to do something that would have been, um, like a sustainable solution long-term for that community. And it was just our dream. And we're like, God, we've worked so hard for this and this is about to happen. And you just closed the door. Like, What in the world? Why would, why would this happen? And, and looking back, I see God's hand on that of protection. Um, just because it's a, it's a hard place to do business anyway, and to do work and ministry. But the, the fall of 2016 was a really hard time there. And so it was just, I don't know, it was just a protection because we were, we were hoping to raise a whole lot of money and do this big thing. And like, I think, Oh my gosh, what if we would have done that? And it would have been completely fallen apart and we would have lost everyone's money. You know what I mean? So, yeah. um, And we had just prayed so much, Lord help us to be good stewards of this. Like this is so, this is a big deal. We're, we're having you know, trying to make decisions that we're spending other people's money and they're trusting us. And so, um, we so respected Tresor for saying, you know, I just don't feel like this is wise at this time. Like we just need to put a hold on it. And so we did. And, um, Dave had already been, when he went to Congo the year before with Help When Now, they had also visited Zimbabwe and South Africa just to check on the leaders, like on the way home. And so Dave was just, so impressed with Pastor John, who who runs the program in Zimbabwe. And so when everything got put on hold in Congo, we still had money coming in that we didn't know quite what to do with because our feeding program was actually completely funded in Congo because um, Mengaza had found sponsors for the kiddos. So they didn't need our money and we didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> and so we're like, we've got to put this money somewhere good. And, and that's when Dave was like, I just think we should get behind Pastor John and the work he's doing in Zimbabwe because it's sort of an underfunded program for Help One Now. It's just a hard place to get people to visit. Um, it's really far. It's hard to get to. And it's just kind of, it's actually their longest program. It's actually where Help One Now started, but um, it's their most under-resourced program. And so we just said, okay, well, let's do it. We're going to do, that's, you know, that's our, that's where we're going. And so that's actually why we went to South Africa for January is I went, I wanted to go to Zimbabwe to meet Pastor John and to see the work. And so we just decided to go to South Africa and stay there. And I hopped over to to Zimbabwe for a week with a group. And um, yeah, so that's kind of where we are now. We have a, um, a farm here in Bentonville which is crazy because we're not farmers. It was just one of those God things. That's a whole nother story. I won't even get into because it's so much. But basically, Dave just decided we should have a blueberry farm. And if you know Dave Mark, <laughs> he does not do anything on a small scale. And, like, I was thinking, okay, let's plant, like, five blueberry plants. Great. Like, have a little garden in the back. No, he um, bought 20 acres and planted 1,500 plants and five. No, yeah. 1500 and then 500 blueberry plants and did all this irrigation. And it was just like, what are you doing? We are not farmers. What are you doing? So that <laughs> In case was you actually, didn't notice, we yeah, don't do this. We don't know what we're doing. So he did like all this research, went to all these classes. I mean, we have enough going on, but why not just become farmers too? Um, and we didn't know why. So that was three summers ago because it takes three years for blueberries to come to be able to be harvested. 
And so the first harvest was this past summer, so in 2017. And we had been to Zim, I had been to Zim in January of 2017. And when I was there, we were brainstorming with Pastor John just about like what his big dreams are. And um, one of the biggest dreams he had was for the older boys in his program um, just to have a hope and a future because at the current, like what, where they were coming from, they were basically coming in off the streets at such an age that like once they got plugged into public school, there, government school, I mean, there's just no way for them to catch up because they've never been to school before. So they hadn't started at the bottom. Now they're 15 years old starting school. They can't read or write. And it's clearly, they have no chance at that point. Um, for success and on that route. And so just so happened that when Dave had been to Zim, he had visited this garden area and he's like, you have to go, you have to have pastor bring you there. So we went and I'm like, this is amazing. So anyhow, long story short, he told us his dream was to rent, to lease this land. He would love to buy it, but we couldn't afford that. So we're going to lease it. (laughs) He's like, I would love to lease this land and create a program for the boys to learn how to, to farm the land because it's actually farmland. There's already orchards, there's gardens, there's livestock. Um, it just needs someone to work it. And so he had this dream and we were like, huh. And so kind of just processing it at the end of the trip, I had told him Lamar, our friend who works for Help One Now, like Lamar. I kind of think maybe this is what we're supposed to do with our blueberry farm because we knew we wanted to do something with it. We just didn't know what, like our original intent had been for our feeding program, but that had kind of gone away. And so we didn't really know what we were doing it for. And um, so anyhow, between January and June, we got everything worked out and figured out. And essentially um, we just actually launched the program on January 2nd. And so it's a, a training program for the boys there in um, in the Mushuavana village, and they are they have trainers there. They're learning irrigation. They're learning all sorts of stuff. So basically, just learning a trade that will sustain them through life. But they're also able to sell product at the market. They're able to feed the kids at the children's village. Um, so it's really cool. So our little farm here is funding that farm there. Jenny, so I'm I'm like yeah. cracking up at how crazy pants this story is. <laughs> like, I don't even. It's this is insane, <laughs> and we haven't even gotten to the whole like you have your own TV show part of the story. I like this is unbelievable. Okay, yeah, I mean we have just a few things going on in our life, so we thought, why not just add one more thing? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We um, actually this came completely out of left field. We were not, I mean, this is nothing that we planned for, nothing that we were pursuing by any means. Um, if you know Dave and I, like, I don't really ever even, like, on on my public kind of things, like blog or Instagram or whatever, I don't really talk about that side of our lives because it's just work. And there's just a lot of, um, I don't know, there's a lot of, like, home um, interior designers, um, just, you know, blogs or, um, Instagram feeds. And just, I'm like, that space is kind of, that's full. So I don't, that's not my thing. My thing is 
for a while it was adoption and then it became orphan care and family empowerment. And like, that's my passion. So, so it wasn't like we were out there like, Oh, you know, Dave didn't even have, we didn't have like a website for the business until I finally made one this past year. I'm like, I guess I should do this because people are not even going to think we're legitimate because there's no website, which is so dumb. It's silly, but we just been so busy and I had kind of taken a break from even doing anything with him when the kids were born. I mean, when the kids, like the kids were, we had four under four for a while and it was crazy. So there was no, I wasn't helping doing anything. Um, so we were just like you busier just, than you we were strictly wiping noses. Like that. Was yeah, the, yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> we're just <laughs> surviving. I'm like, literally we were keeping everyone alive every day. That's what I was doing. And he was just like going to work, getting, you know, getting the bills paid. That was it. Um, and so, I don't know. I don't really exactly know how it happened, but essentially, what we've been told is um, HGTV. We have our our uh, network executive at HGTV, who's amazing. Her name's Carrie. Um, she was talking with a friend of hers who works for the Walmart Foundation here in Bentonville, and just talking about what an interesting, unique town Bentonville is, and. So Carrie, I believe Carrie came and visited, I believe. That's, I don't know for sure, actually. But I know she was just really intrigued by the town. And it made her think, well, why don't we try to do a show in Bentonville? And so she reached out to her friend who then kind of put some feelers out. And our names got thrown in the hat. And I got an email that I legitimately, legitimately almost deleted because I thought it was spam. I'm like, there's what? Like. This is an HGTV network executive. Are you kidding me? Um, but a friend, Monica, had told me, she's like, I, I gave your name to this, you know, this network lady, you know, look out for her email. So because I knew she had said that, I was like, okay, I won't delete it. Maybe this is legitimate. But then I still thought, how does, how does Monica know this is for real? You know, like, I'm such a, like, cynic that I'm like, no way, this isn't real. So anyway, I... <laughs> finally responded I waited a while I'm like okay you know yes this is us this is our story this and that and so we actually did a just did a Skype call then we did a we did a couple Skype calls and then she put us in touch with a production company and we did a couple Skype calls with them and they presented to the network this show concept that we were really excited about and it was basically um I don't know it was it was it was essentially like the story of a house, not necessarily about us, but more about the house and um, the history, because we have a lot of historic homes in the area. So it would have kind of pieced together the history of this home as we're renovating it, right? So like the home is the central theme of the show, not us or the family buying it or anything. So they pre- he presented it and basically they were like, yeah, no, <laughs> we don't like that idea. They're like, you know, we have a uh, formula that works. We have viewers that like this format and we don't really want that idea so so we were like okay that was that was fun that was crazy (laughs) you know we had this presentation to hgtv cool the end chapter closed so uh fast forward a few months and i get another email from another uh, production company and then in february of 2017 they came to town and filmed for a few days what was called a sizzle reel so it was basically like a three-minute sort of snapshot of what the show would be about. And in, 
I don't even know, May, I think, they signed on for a pilot. And we filmed the pilot in June. And actually, it was, like, the craziest thing I've ever done. It was so crazy. We had... (laughs) We renovated this whole house. I mean, oh, it was insane. It was so much work. Um, There was no attic... I mean, there was just an attic, and we added bedrooms. I don't know if you saw the show, but it was it was a lot. They didn't show everything because there's no way to show everything. It was so much. Um, but we filmed it in one week. It was insane. Goodness. Like It was insane. <laughs> so they actually flown down about um, four weeks before for two days, and they did they filmed the walkthrough and the roof scene where um, because we really did discover like we have to replace this roof, and there's no way we can do that in a week plus everything else. So they came down and filmed all of that. And so we were able to have plumbing and electric and all of that kind of stuff going on. Cause that's, nobody wants to see that. So we did all of that kind of cheated it a little bit. And then when they arrived, it was like just nonstop. There was, Oh, it was just crazy. There was people there from five in the morning till one in the morning every day. Oh my um, gosh. And it was kind of, it was hard because we had to have everything already ordered in. So all the tile, all the lighting, all, everything, anything that we needed was there. And so once we installed it, sometimes, and this just happens, like you put something in and it just doesn't work and you change it, but there was no time to change it. So, so that was a challenge for sure, but it was, it was fun. And we were able to, I mean, things, things like the uh, zinc hood that I had, custom made I didn't like the patina on it and I was like I just can't I don't I just couldn't do it I just couldn't I didn't like it and so we actually ended up spray painting it like that's just what we're gonna have to do so just stuff like that you just sort of went with it it was crazy yeah but it all came together and um and our crew that we worked with was so fun they were so wonderful wonderful production team and crew and became just like family to us. I mean, we just love them. And I mean, we spent a lot of time with them. And so it was really fun working with them. We, Dave and I were both kind of like, okay, if we, if this is the only thing we do, that was fun. The end. That's great. We're so happy with that because I don't know if we can do this again. It was a lot. But then we were also saying this team was so fun. We'd miss them. Like we actually are excited to see them again. So anyway, when we found out, we did find out which, is why I asked if when the show will air, but when we found out that the show got picked up, we were um, just mostly just excited to work with our team again because they're just awesome. So anyway, yeah, that's that's you know, like super that. super cool. I <laughs> like oh yeah. So well, that brings me to another listener question that came in. Um, she said that you seem so calm and cool and collected on TV. And so they, she wanted to know how you maintain that with the craziness of adoption and, you know, having your own show. Because, because they're really good editors. <laughs> <laughs> they edited out a lot. Um, yes, that's pretty much the, yeah, that's it. No, I mean, everything with this show was pretty, yeah, it was any of the really crazy things kind of happened well, not on camera. <laughs> I don't know. Actually, that week, the week actually went really smoothly. I think it was just, it was really fun. We had so many people. It's It was different than a normal house because there were, I mean, every, we had every single 
person, like our sub who does flooring, every one of his guys were working the whole time. You know what I mean? So we just had so many people there working together. And it was just, it was really fun because everybody just wanted to make, they just worked so hard, everyone. And it was just a fun project. Everybody just kind of went all in and wanted to make this just, just do a good job. And so it really... It could have been stressful, but it really wasn't. I don't know. It really wasn't that stressful, actually, compared to other projects. I don't know why, but um, I think everybody was just enjoying it, and it was just fun, and it was exciting. So, yeah, but I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah. No, that's so cool. I love it. So, okay, (laughs) if you're ready, are you ready to jump into some of these closing questions that I have? Cool. Okay. So... And these are more focused on the adoption, but obviously you can bring yes. your nonprofit and the show into it as well. But what do you wish that someone had just, you know, grabbed you by the shoulders and looked you in the eye and told you before you started this whole journey? I think the biggest thing would be that it, this is not going to look the way you think it's going to look. All of it. All of it. The weight, the after she gets home, the attachment process, all of it. None of it looked anything like I expected and yet it is it's our story and so I think rather like if someone would just tell me okay it's not going to look the way you think it's going to look and also let go of every single expectation you have for what it should look like or what it should be like or how you should feel or how your child should respond to you all of those things just let it go and continually let it go every single day. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the biggest thing for me. Absolutely. Just, I mean, and that's a good point that it is not something that you can just take a deep breath one day and be like, okay, I'm surrendering yeah. this to you, God. Like it is, it is a morning by morning thing where you wake up and have to make the decision to place that in God's hands. Yes. Hour by hour sometimes. For oh. sure. <laughs> well, yeah, with the, with the younger years we talked about earlier, for sure. Yeah. You're just like, yeah. take me now, Jesus. I'm going to yeah. use it. Oh, man. Okay. Well, that's, that's a good one. So, okay. The second one. So what do you think, what do you wish that you had done differently? You know, that's a really hard one because I feel like our story, I mean, it's our story. I don't, I don't, I, there are certain things I wish would have happened differently, but I also don't because I can see that thread through it all of how it all came together. Um, but I would say one thing specific thing, not just kind of the process or anything would be for me when Sylvie first came home, um, when Charlotte was a baby, we had had a lot of, um, trauma stuff from our trip to Congo. I wish I would have got counseling for me right away. (laughs) Like I got counseling for her, but I, I, ignored myself for a very long time. Um, and I think there's, there are things like PTSD and secondary trauma that we as moms have to process. And a lot of times it feels like you kind of feel like you should be stronger and you should be, you should be able to handle all of this stuff because you have to, cause it's the God chose you for these kids. So you should be equipped and you can just pray everything away and it'll be fine. But God also gives us tools and resources and doesn't expect us to trudge through life. He wants us to live abundantly until we can process some of that hurt that we had to go through and some of like the secondary trauma stuff. Like 
I mean, it is just impossible to have a child with severe trauma come into your home and into your family and have it not affect everyone. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that for me was it took a long time to to figure out like, OK, wait, I've got to like it's it's not all about fixing her. Like I kind of thought for a long time, like I need to get her to therapy. Like she has so much trauma. We got to we got to heal her heart. We got to do all this. It was all about her. And at one point, God was like, yeah, but look in the mirror. Like, it's a two-sided relationship. And you guys, you can't attach to her when you have hidden, you know, resentment or hardened parts of your heart because of the hurt that you've experienced because of this process and because of the trauma. You know, does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, and it's I'm, I'm amazed because you you're so eloquently saying a lot of things that we, that we as adoptive moms feel all the time. You know, I, I feel like we could be the same person because I've said those exact same things. And I did that too. You know, I ignored myself. I didn't get counseling when I should, I didn't, you know, I, I thought that secondary trauma was like a bunch of millennial hokey until, (laughs) until I experienced it. And I was like, no, this is what this feels like. (laughs) Like I'm, you know, hashtag triggered by Mm -hmm. this kid that's in my house and yelling at me constantly, you know? And, Um, I, that was probably mine too, is that I wish I had thought about myself a little bit sooner for the health of my whole family. Um, so I'm glad that you can say those things so eloquently because I feel like myself and a lot of our listeners are probably in the trenches and don't understand what actually is happening in their minds. Mm hmm. Yes. Um, so, okay. So what is your favorite way that your tribe supported you through your adoption story? I mean, there were so many things, especially during our waiting time. It was just, it was really sweet. Everybody just kind of rallied around our family in different ways. And one thing that really stands out when I think back is on Sylvie's second birthday. So we had already gone through her first birthday apart. And then her second, for sure, I just thought she would be home. Like that was my, when I go back to saying it's not going to look like you're expecting, that was my expectation. Like she will be home by her second birthday. You hear me, God? Like this. This is the deal, which he he didn't he did not um, agree to that deal, obviously. <laughs> and so it was a really hard. It was hard. It was I was grieving a lot of things. I was grieving missing her her birthday, of course. Um, but that not just her birthday, but like all that represented. You know, that whole year that had passed since the last birthday that we spent apart. All that time that I knew she was without me, and all of those things. So. It was really hard. Um, and I had friends that sent flowers that's from across the country, sent dinner to our house um, and cards and phone calls. And it was all other adoptive moms, of course, because they got it. But it a lot of times we don't we, we forget about that. Like, I, I don't know. I just felt so seen and so known and loved and like, I don't know, like, like, okay, this is, it is valid for me to miss her on this day. It does, you know, it is okay because sometimes during the wait, it's hard for people, especially who have never adopted to understand how you can have this deep love for this child that you've never even met possibly, but it is, it's there and you um, do grieve the time apart. And so it was just really that I, I think back on that day and how, meaningful that was to me 
and that people recognize and friends recognize that that was it was a hard day and that they were here and they were thinking of me and thinking of her and I don't know it was really sweet yeah it validated your feelings and mm-hmm. you know uh, that just that that always is like a nice surprise because we I think that our tendency as humans and as specifically women we have a tendency to completely shut down our feelings and say that we're being crazy and we shouldn't feel this way. We should be stronger. We shouldn't, you know, let it bother us or whatever. So when someone says, no, you are absolutely in the right to feel this way. It's so freeing. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. So on that note, what is a way that you felt, you know, hurt or misunderstood maybe despite some good intentions? (sighs) That's a hard one. There's a lot. I would say one of the biggest things since we've been home, so in the past three years, has been when I was just having a conversation actually today about this with a friend. Um, We were talking about how good, and this is always, it's always with good intentions. So I don't, I don't mean this to say it's somebody's trying to be hurtful because they're not at all. Always with good intentions. If I'm trying to open up and share with someone who, who either is an adoptive mom or a lot of times other moms that aren't adopted moms is usually when this happens, of course, but, um, I'm sharing like some of the real, some of the hard stuff that, you know, people don't really know from smiley pictures and that they don't really expect. And so if I'm trying to really share, like, this is what some of the hard stuff looks like, the get getting the, Oh, I, I know how that is. My daughter does that exact same thing or my son does that exact same thing. When like, yeah, yeah, they may do the same thing, but the motivation behind it is not all the same. And you know what I mean? So absolutely, I, it almost like it does the opposite of what the other thing that we talked about. It like invalidates me. It says like, no, you have no right to think that it, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like your situation <laughs> isn't different or it's not, you know, it, and I think that yeah. you're right. It does. It's the opposite because it makes you feel like your feelings toward this child should be the same. They should look this way. And when they don't, you feel like you're doing it wrong. Yes. And you feel, you feel like a crazy person for letting something really small, like you said, a trigger, something really small, just set you off. (laughs) Because it's, and then if somebody else sees that and you're like trying to explain it to them, I'm like, no, 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 this isn't the, this is what you're seeing is the tip of this iceberg you know, that whole, that whole illustration where you have the iceberg and then you have everything underneath the ocean that they don't see. That's what I'm reacting to is everything else that's below this. And so you're, you're kind of condescending to me and to, to all of the work that we're trying to do here in our family. And I don't know if that's probably the hardest thing I think is just that misunderstanding of I'm her mom. Believe me, I know I'm trying to respond to this in the right way and I don't really need you to, you know, or whatever. I don't know that that makes it. No, I'm loving this because I feel like I said, you are, you are so good at articulating exactly how I feel. And I'm sure how every other adoptive mom feels. And I I love it. Thank you. Thank you for being (laughs) able to articulate these things. Does this make any sense? Okay. So yeah, sure. (laughs) Oh yeah, absolutely. Like I'm tracking with you. I'm like, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh to everything you say. (laughs) Um, Okay. So finally, what, if you could just sum it all up, what is the biggest piece of advice or encouragement that you have for adoptive families? Um, Okay. So I was looking through old journals today and I came across a quote from a friend of mine 
who had um, spoken at a, like a, just, I don't know, a women's retreat that I was at. And it was during my wait, and um, and it applies during that time, but it also applies now, like even in hard seasons. And her quote was, winter always comes before spring every time. And was, I can't remember if I said it was Amber Haynes who said that. And I love, love that because at the time I was in this season of winter for sure. And I kind of thought, well, okay, Sylvie comes home and it's spring, <laughs> like it's going to be done, but it wasn't. Winter just kept going. But what I've found, obviously, just the human condition and just life is mm-hmm. there's seasons for everything. And there's times that it feels like winter is never going to end, but it it does. And God gives us nature and gives us all of these beautiful illustrations around us just by looking out of our window to remind us that it's okay. Like the tree is totally desolate. This looks completely bleak and completely hopeless, but spring is coming. It will come and the leaves will bud and there will be life and there will be new growth and you can trust in that. And, and I don't know, that's just carried me through so many ups and downs, um, through the weight and then through the time home and through attachment and, hard things with siblings and all of it, just all of it. It just um, is one of my favorite things to go back to and favorite quotes. But I will also say on a totally practical side, one thing that I would recommend um, as far as advice is if you don't have Voxer, get it. (laughs) And I actually just saw a video and one of my friends referred me to a video that Jen Hatmaker did on Voxer, which I was like, oh, I know, right? I know what video you're talking about, actually. I think the same one. (laughs) It was just on. And it's so funny because I have been preaching about Voxer for so long. But it is the best. um, I'm I'm not one to... I like technology. It's, you know, there's a time. I like it. But I'm also a super late adapter. So I don't jump on a bandwagon of anything. But Voxer, I love because you can... um, talk and like leave messages for each other and so I have a I have boxer groups with some adoptive mamas who we are like very there's actually a few of them that we are in very similar stages our kids are like we're home around the same time same age you know what I mean so we because of course we're busy and life is crazy it's practically impossible to grab time on the phone with one another but and in text messaging is so impersonal and you can't really tell everything, you know, you try to give an update with a text and it's really difficult. So it's just exhausting. I mean, my fingers <laughs> cramp up after a while. Right. I know. So Voxer, you can just leave a message and sometimes it's a 15 minute message. Sometimes it's a one minute message um, and you just put it out there and then they can listen whenever they have time and they can respond whenever they have time. Um, I have some group boxes and then I have some individual boxes with other friends and it is, um, it's like a lifeline some days because I think finding friends that are walking in the same, especially as adoptive moms that are walking in the same seasons and in the same hard stuff, it's hard to find those friends a lot of times, even, you know, right where you live. So if you find them through, you know, however, like conferences or whatever, and they don't live right here, it's hard to keep in touch. But Voxer makes it so easy. Like I talked to my, like talked to, I was talking to a girlfriend today, like 
back and forth all day. And, um, you know, we just were able to share and laugh and make each other feel better and make each other not feel crazy and, you know, just be super honest. And, um, anyway, so Voxer is my favorite, but also of course having friends that are super, you know, transparent and supportive and also just let you sometimes just let it all out and don't try to fix it. You know, those are the best kinds of friends. And I feel like Voxer is great for that because you can just let it all out. Everybody can hear it. You feel better. It's like a therapy session. Yeah. <laughs> and then, <laughs> I love that. And I, I'm actually, so I'm going to throw something else on you. Have you heard of Marco Polo? I have, but my problem is I don't like, I like, it's kind of like FaceTime. I don't like to be seen. Like, I don't like to have the camera right in my face. Yeah. Most time. So I'm like, I don't, I just want to walk. I mean, I want to be like, you know, wearing a face mask, leaving a box. I don't want to be on Marco Polo. <laughs> <laughs> no, that makes sense. And, you know, I love Marco Polo, but it is not as passive as Voxer is because you can't, you yes. know, you feel like you have to watch it. You can't just like turn it on and then, yes. you know, like you said, put a mask on or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> just came to mind. But actually Voxer, I listen a lot. A lot of time when I'm in the car, if I don't have the kids in the car, that's what I'm doing is Vox, like catching up on Voxer. So it would be kind of hard with Marco Polo because you have to look at it, right? Yeah. I think. Well, yeah. I play it in the car and I just don't look at it, but you know. <laughs> I also, I, I film in the car, but also don't look at it. I have like a, a magnetic mount for it. So I'll just set it there and then talk while I drive and it freaks my friends out. And I'm like, I'm not even holding the phone. Chill out. That's awesome. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Well, so where can we, um, where can we find you on social media and tell us all about like where we can find your show? Yeah. On Instagram, I'm just Jenny Mars, two R's and my blog is Blessings and Raindrops from forever ago. <laughs> I try to keep it up to date. I, I'm not as good as I used to be, but Instagram is so much easier. I love Instagram. It's my go-to these days. Oh, yeah. No, I'm the yeah. same way. I had a, I have a blog, too, that is still active, but um, I, I, the, I, this is my blog now, the, the podcast, so yeah. I don't post yeah. very often at all. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to find time to sit and think and use my brain and like in front of the computer where Instagram is a lot quicker and easier. Yeah. I feel you. Well, thank you so much, Jenny. This was, this was so much fun. Actually. I feel like I could talk to you forever. You were awesome. Oh, it was so fun. I know I'm I'm still awake too. It's amazing. It's awesome. Thanks, Toppy. Thank you for listening to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I know this stuff is hard, and I hope you found encouragement here. Remember, you are enough, and you're doing a great job. God wants to be at the center of this journey, and He is big enough to redeem all of our mistakes. Don't forget to check out show notes and other resources at theadoptivemompodcast.com. Thanks again for listening.